This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. You know, they have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek. We are the Borg, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. You will listen. Resistance is futile. You must comply. Transwarp conduit connecting the Delta Quadrant to the Alphaist of Quadrants. And oh, by the way, we're being chased by the Borg, so we better hurry it up. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, one and all. Welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and this is episode number 196. We are fast closing in on that magic 200th episode and it's a it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you every week. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to my um, co-host and I. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I encourage you later after every episode we have an outtake, and I encourage you to listen to this week's because it will explain the introduction I'm about to provide to him. Um, I could only hope that there was a shark in the world that had a journal. And wanted to seek revenge on him for all the hell he's put me through. He's the it, he's the very attackable Dan Davidson. And Dan, um, hey, buddy. Y'all know me. Know how I earn a living. I'll do this podcast for you, but it ain't going to be easy. Bad Bill. It's not like going down the pond chasing bluegills or Tommy. Okay, I digress. Hi, Bill. <laughs> is, that, is that from Jaws? That is from Jaws, which you have never seen, you horrible human being. But it's good to be here. I got a question for you. Transwarp conduits that we're traveling through and being chased by the board, are these the same ones that have stupid metal around them? Because that's just stupid. Stupid. Anyway, it's good to be here. 196. Hi. Well, tell me how you really feel on a variety of levels here. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here with you because you are the sun in my sunshine. Or you're my shine in my sunshine. Sunshine? Shine, shine? <laughs> wow. Help me, Spook. Exactly. Yes. Wow. Help well, me, Spook. <laughs> it's good to be here. Uh, we have a great time every week. We get together and, and talk about various Star Trek topics. And, and today we're going to focus in on you a little bit, which is kind of cool um, because you have joined a very elite club. And we are very happy to welcome you to this club as you have finished up your watch of Voyager and all seven seasons. You are now a Star Trek completist. So that's what we're going to talk about today, buddy. Spotlight is being turned on you right now. Boom. Go. 
And I welcome it. Um, wow, you provided the, the segue there and, and, and took me to the next thought, and I I, I wasn't ready. So uh, I just I'm, I give up on hosting the show um, because you're just taking over at every level. It worked um, well, didn't it? No, it was, no, no, it was I terrible. It was, I thought it was pretty smooth. It was pretty terrible. Okay, um, you're terrible. Your face is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you tried to do there. You tried to fill the dead air like a host. Cut it out. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. I can't. Yeah, we are going to talk about the fact that um, I have finally uh, achieved having watched every single Star Trek episode. And I'm very, very excited by it. You should be excited about it because it's it's pretty awesome. There's, what, 700 plus hours of, of uh, episodic Star Trek television. Uh, and you now have gone through all of them. It 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 took you some time. Um, it you had to do a couple of restarts uh, on Voyager, as we're going to discuss probably in our conversation today. Uh, but you got through it, and you have a better appreciation for it. And you know what? You're a better person for it. So thank you. Well, when you put it in terms like that, it makes it sound like I have no life. So, uh, so thank you. I appreciate that. Your words, not mine. <laughs> we're going to be joined by a great friend of ours this week, Dan, to talk about. Uh, Star Trek Voyager and uh, what it means to to my fandom and and uh, who's going to be joining us today, my friend? Well, we are very very happy to welcome again to the show a very good friend of ours. We we love spending time with him out in Vegas when we can, and and he is a a great human being. He is the host of the Trek Profiles podcast and not the Trek Files podcast. He is the one and only John Krikorian. It's always great to 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 listen to his show. It is one of the best podcasts out there for Star Trek. He's got uh, wonderful people on to, to discuss their fandom, and we're very excited to have him back on. So as a completist. To another completist, Bill, we can now bring on a non-completist and talk about what he thinks of Voyager 2. I think it's going to be a great discussion. I look forward to it. The other thing I look forward to, Dan, is you telling the good people in our listening audience how they can tell us about their completionist ways. Well, absolutely. If you're looking to get in touch with us to tell us your completionist thoughts, you can head over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and you'll find a plethora of ways to communicate with your two favorite geeks. Let's see, there's Skype chat, there's email, there's even a voicemail via SpeakPipe, or you can call us on your old-fashioned rotary dial teleophone, and maybe uh, just head down the street, use that old-fashioned payphone but bring a dime. Uh, plus, there's the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook, Camp Kittimer. It's our official group, and it's where the Trek talk is always positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. To join the group, head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. As always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, Sarah, and Dan for the amazing job they do running the camp. But also, please remember that any comments or messages that lead us in any of these places may be used in a future episode, and that's American Express Guy. Do you mean Federal Express guy? Uh, was it Federal Express or American Express? Yeah, it was Federal Express. Oh, American uh, Express was Carl Malden. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I haven't seen a, either one of those commercials in a long time. So, well, that's memory. because uh, I think Carl Malden's dead. Boom. Dan, another week and another moment to talk about our great friends at Fansets. You know, this 
this just doesn't get boring. You know, after all, when you're working with the best, it truly makes it easy to talk about them and their products every single week here on Trek Geeks. I'll tell you what, it's a whole hell of a lot easier than talking about you, that's for sure, and that's what we're doing for this whole episode. So, uh, yeah, they're the best, Bill, and they are hard at work bringing the next round of pins to Star Trek fans all around this little planet. Uh, just this past week, they announced on social media that the second set of episode pins for Star Trek Discovery Season 2 are on the way, and the artwork they provided was simply astounding. Uh, there are so many parts of Season 2 I loved, and they capture the essence of each episode with each of these special pins. And also don't forget that we are still collecting tweets from listeners who want to win a framed Women of Trek collector set that debuted at STLV this past summer. The set will include all nine characters plus a special Women of Trek pin, and all of the character pins will be the glitter versions, which are no longer available. To enter the contest, just send a tweet to Trek Geeks with the hashtag Women of Trek and tell us your favorite Woman of Trek, real world or fictional character, and why she's your favorite. You have until Sunday, November 10th, and we will announce the winner on our next episode. That is awesome, Dan, and this set is truly remarkable. So send your tweets now. In the meantime, of course, as always for our Trek Geeks listeners, you can get 15% off your entire order at fansets.com this week by simply entering the word Neelix, that's N-E-E-L-I-X in all capital letters, at checkout, and this bonus code is going to get you that 15% off. Now, keep in mind the code is available until Tuesday, November 12, 2019 at midnight Eastern Standard Time. Fansets. We are Star Trek. And we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Well, Dan, we gather this week to discuss uh, a milestone in my Trek fandom. Mm-hmm. I um, I-, I have reached the pinnacle that so many other Trekkies have reached, but it only took me about, I don't know, 100 years to do it. And to, to talk about uh, my uh, completionist ways, we've brought on a very great friend of ours. A very great friend. First of all, congratulations, and we'll get more into that in just a minute, Mr. Completionist. I like that word. But yeah, we have a great friend joining us here today on Trek Geeks. Um, we've both had the honor of being on his show, the Trek Profiles podcast. He is the one and only – well, actually, before I introduce him, he still thinks Loki was framed, and that's a very important part of his life. That's a so fact. So welcome one and all – uh, Mr. John Krikorian to the Trek Geeks podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here, man. We love the fact that you're sitting here and we're looking at your smiling face on our screens right now. And it just makes me happier because I don't have to look at just Bill. So welcome. Thanks for being here, pal. <laughs> hey, Dan. Uh, Bill, thanks for having me on. What a thrill. Uh, even though it's zero dark 30 here in Vegas, I am up. I am well caffeinated and I am prepared to engage haha, in this uh, discussion with all of you and uh, excited to get into it, man. This is amazing because uh, I'm completely surprised. Dan told me we were going to do Trek Files this week, and I was expecting Larry Nemechek. Wow, really? That's never going to go. That's never going to go away, is it? <laughs> Ever? <laughs> never. I, John, <laughs> John, welcome, uh, welcome back. Uh, we should say it is such a, a wonderful honor to have you grace Trek Geeks with your with your presence again. Uh, for those who may not have discovered Trek Profiles yet. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about it? Because it truly is one of my favorite podcasts, and it is uh, top of the queue every time it releases an episode. Here, here. Oh, you guys are very kind. Uh, so what I do is I do uh, long-form interviews with delightful Star Trek nerds on their Star Trek fandom. So each episode is one guest, and we we lay their fandom out on the table. We extract 
from them the truth of their Star Trek fandom, why they love it, and we talk about how they became a fan and why they love the show and what episodes are meaningful to them and what it's meant in their life. And so uh, both Bill and Dan have been on the show at different times, of course. And so uh, that's that's the show, and you can find it at Trek Profiles uh, pretty much everywhere. Before we get into the conversation, John, I just wanted to say it was so exciting to see you on um, – the name of the game show is escaping me right now. Uh, Let's but, make a deal. Uh, Let's, Let's make, a, make deal. a deal. It was fantastic. But, dude, you walked away empty-handed. I was so crushed. I know that uh, risk is our business, but, man, that was tough. But it must have been a blast to be on the show. It was an absolute blast. And, you know, the thing about game shows is you never walk away empty handed, right? Because you got a story to tell. Mm-hmm. You have a great experience and there's a consolation prize. So oh, good. Uh, if, if you didn't know uh, what I walked away with was uh, a Roku box. Uh, so they, they gave nice. everyone got a Roku who attended. So that was nice mm-hmm. um, that everybody in the audience got that a CBS all access gift card. So that is my second year of CBS all access that I did not have not paid for yet uh, because I got a <laughs> gift card the first year and the second year. And uh, also for for even if you zonk out like I did on the show, uh, you still got a 100 bucks. So nice. I, you know, I got uh, I got some prizes, so I can't complain. And it was just a thrill to to be called and to to be up there. Although what's funny is if you if you look at the show and sort of look very carefully when they're calling my name, I still couldn't believe they picked me. And like I'm like I'm looking at myself like is he putting, is he pointing at me? And Wayne Brady's looking at me like yeah you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, I was watching it on the um, uh, with my wife, and when your name got called and we saw you in your in your getup, the black and white with the loci was framed i went freaking berserk it was awesome so congratulations and for being thank back. you i didn't tell anybody but i at work i kept saying you know i attended a taping of let's make a deal it's going to air in february y'all should watch it and people were like <laughs> oh what were you called i was like i attended a taping y'all should watch it you know and i just kept because that's all they that is they are very strict with you right you can't say anything yes. yeah and and you have to sign all these documents and you know ndas and stuff and so you all you can tell people is that you attended a taping that, nice. You know, you can't say that you got called. You can't say that, you know, you won, you lost. You you know, they're very strict. And they don't give you anything until after the show airs. Ah. So, so yeah. So, you know, even if you win a, you know, a bajillion dollars, you're not going to get it till after the show airs. And they're, they're quite upfront. And they say, if we find out that you posted or you shared, we're not going to give it to you. Right. So not that I nice. had any great amount of money, you know, or anything like that. But I was like, yeah. nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor it. So I didn't even tell my wife. Yeah. And so... <laughs> <laughs> she'd be mad. Oh my god! You know, I kept thinking she'd be so mad. She's a finance person. She'd be so mad. It's like you, you had three thousand dollars. You know, and I was like, well, what are you gonna do, honey? Sorry, <laughs> don't be too mad, well, anybody. Unlike your appearance on Let's Make a Deal, you are gonna walk away empty-handed after this. Um, <laughs> And that's only because you've spent time talking to me and Dan, and we apologize for that. Uh, but I got a great new recipe for protein pancakes. There uh, you go. I hate you so much. Well, gentlemen, today we are going to discuss um, my having made it through Star Trek Voyager and and some of the things that that maybe makes Voyager so great, because uh, I'm here to reveal that I did like Voyager a great deal. Um, it, it took me about, man, I want to say five or six tries to eventually make it through the series. So here's what I would do. I would start to watch it, and uh, I think I started to watch it again when it came out on DVD. I missed a lot of it in the first run because it was on UPN. And of course, UPN being what they are, it got preempted a lot in the local market due to things like local sports and, I don't know, uh, cooking shows and anything else that would occupy that time slot other than Star Trek. So I missed a, a, a huge chunk of the series and eventually just gave up. 
by the time season five or uh, midway season five came around, I was like, yeah, no, I'm done with this show. It sucks. Um, and every time I started to watch the show on DVD, I would do the same thing. I get to midway about season five, kind of when it became the doctor and seven of nine show in, in my own mind and go, oh, this is just terrible. I, I, I can't, I can't do this. Well, you know, to, because I wanted to get to Voyager's 25th anniversary and, and have seen all of it to be able to not only one talk about it somewhat coherently, but also to, to say that, you know what, I, I finished all of Star Trek. I started to watch it on Netflix uh, probably about six months ago, uh, sporadically. Usually on Saturday mornings when my wife would go off to the gym or whatever. And finally, I, I hit that zone in midway season five. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to power through. I'm going to watch nothing but Voyager on the weekends from sunup till sundown. And I'm going to I'm gonna make my way through this series headstrong. And by the time I got through with it, I found that it actually was a great Star Trek series. And I guess I was surprised by that. Um, Dan, I know you, you watched a lot of Voyager first run. I know you've since watched it probably many times, mm-hmm. both, uh, you know, streaming and on H&I. Um, and I'm pretty sure you liked it from the get-go, or did it take you a while to warm up to it as well? Well, something that I've always talked about on the podcast is the fact that I, I always appreciated what the actors brought to the show. I love the special effects. I loved the sh- I really thought the ship was kind of cool, although the bridge is kind of dark and, and kind of clunky at times, I've, I've thought. But I always had a problem, especially with the first season, in that the writers would have this great story. It had a lot of potential it was getting right up to the climax of the story and then it's like the writer's room was like oh my god we've only got three minutes to wrap this up let's just have something stupid happen and we'll end the episode and that is extremely frustrating especially as a fan of this of of the of the franchise to have great writing and then the episode end on such a bad note and that seemed to happen all the time in season one and it really put a bad taste in my mouth for a little while but as with a lot of the trek series the writing got better um, there were those incidences of where it just concentrating on specific characters a little bit too much from time to time. But I'll tell you what, the H&I rewatch that I did with my wife a few years ago before we moved back to New Hampshire really gave me a new appreciation for the show. And it's one of my favorites now. It really is. It's my wife's favorite. It's my kid's favorite, uh, both of them. So, uh, yeah, we're a Voyager family now, guys. What about you, John? So I would actually say that I think season one of Voyager is very strong. Uh, there is yeah. a little bit of, you know, too much Verderon particles through the deflector dish in the last 10 seconds of the episode <laughs> to solve everything. I, I think you're right. But there is some of that in all of Voyager, I think, early Voyager. But some of those episodes in season one are just really huge standouts. And, and ranking season ones, and I'm going to put Enterprise to the side because I haven't watched it in so long. I don't feel competent to say how mm-hmm. I feel about it. But uh, thinking about all the other ones, I would rank it just below TOS for first seasons. Really? Uh, because, yeah, I would too. Well, I'll tell you what, as as we've done many times, Bill, um, I I haven't watched season one itself in quite a long time, and it's certainly something that I'm willing to do to see if I have a better appreciation. As I think about it right now, not having watched season one in a while, all I can think of are the Kazon and how ridiculous they were. They're like the ghetto aliens of Star Trek, and it just always bothered me how they did, how they, how they 
how they presented that race. Um, and for some reason, season one always sticks in my head as the Kazon season, which I'm not a big fan of. So I'm willing to go rewatch it and see if I have a better appreciation for it. I think season one is very solid because I think the characters were probably better fleshed out than they were, say, in TNG. And I, I, the reason I make a lot of comparisons between Next Gen and Voyager, because it's really kind of hard to compare Deep Space Nine and Voyager. The two shows are just different thematically. You know, Voyager's closest cousin is probably Next Gen because the mission is is similar. And go out there and, and meet new aliens and 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 you know have have the alien of the week show. Although the you know the the initial premise of them being stranded far away from home is certainly is is what changes the game. When you figure that most of the the season one scripts, or not most, but a good chunk of them were cast offs from TNG that just didn't make the mm-hmm. cut. True, I, it makes it a much easier comparison for me. But I do think that it, it was easier to understand. And to get to know the characters of Voyager necessarily in their first season than it ever was with Next Gen. Because um, Next Gen's first season is just not very good. It's it's great television. I'll watch it. I enjoy it. But, you know, if I think about um, character access, at least mentally, getting to know them, I think about how the storylines treat those characters and how they gel with each other. A lot of that just doesn't happen. So uh, I like Voyager's first season very much. John, I agree with you. I think it's second only to, to TOS hmm. in how solid it is. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that and, and flip it to the other end of the season. I think, I think Voyager has the best seventh season uh, and far better than, than Next Gen ever did. Um, I actually think that season six is my favorite, but I think season seven is rock solid all around. Um, John, you're in season you, – you're just about to wrap up season six, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, I want to say I did a uh, I'm doing I did a giant Star Trek rewatch and I started along with Mission Log uh, back when they first came out in what was that? 2012, I guess. 1972. <laughs> <laughs> so so I stayed right along with them watching the episodes each week before Mission Log came out. So that was all through TOS and all through TNG. And my feeling in TNG season 7 was just I got very frustrated every single episode because it seemed like, oh, here's a very special family episode of, mm-hmm. of season seven where now this rel- this person has some long lost relative that shows up. Now that even Data has a long lost relative that shows up. And I I'm just I was like, what is this? Everyone has a brother or a cousin or some weird thing that happens. And it just seemed like the whole thing had run out of steam uh, in a lot of ways. And um, I think that as I was watching Voyager, which I had not seen a lot of, uh, in fact, very little of. Uh, the only thing I knew about it is what I had seen, you know, sort of around the inner tubes and the internets when people would just bag on it, you know, and they're like, oh, it's terrible. And I would think, oh, well, this is going to be good. You know, so I'm going to sit here and kind of snark on it. Right. And I've been doing this live tweeting of the episodes as I'm watching them. And the thing that, that struck me was how delightful so many of the episodes were. And, and I was pleasantly surprised going throughout. And you know, like I said, there was a little too much of, you know, Verderon particles fixing everything or, you know, invert the deflector dish or, you know, let's tech the tech to solve the thing. But, you know, every, every series is going to have its, its ups and downs. But I thought some of the episodes were delightful. I mean, I do have some criticisms of the show, uh, which we can probably talk about later, but, uh, I don't think they detracted from the fact that I am having much more fun watching Voyager than I had ever expected. And I, uh, really, don't have anything uh, negative to say on it. And I don't, I think it has an undeservedly bad reputation. 
and uh, I think we should turn it around. I like what you said there, John. We have fun with Voyager. You know, Deep Space Nine is very intense, and there's a lot of war, and there's a lot of darkness to it, which I absolutely love. I think Deep Space Nine, as everybody knows, is the best is the best series out there for me. But Voyager, you're right. There's a lot of fun with with what happens in Voyager. You've got the holodeck episode. You got Doctor. You got K- the Bride of Chaotica, for an example, as probably one of the funnest episodes ever in Star Trek. You've got a lot of that. Of those of those aspects that you can grab onto to really enjoy what's going on with these with these stories um, that you didn't get in any of the other series as much or as well as you did with Voyager. So I think that's a very important aspect of why the series works so well. And you're you're absolutely correct. As I sit here now as a big Voyager fan, I've become one. It is extremely underestimated, and I think that's sad. You know, it's interesting because I didn't think of it as fun before we started this discussion. But as I consider, you know, what both of you have said, it, it actually is. It's quite fun. You know, there are those, you know, those uber serious moments and those, you know, the the the, the tension filled drama and the, is the crew going to get out of this this time? But I think what makes it fun is the relationship between the characters themselves. I mean, yes, Star Trek has always had uh, friends. You know, in Deep Space Nine, you've got O'Brien and Bashir. In, in Next Gen, you've got Jordy and Data. Um, you know, in TOS, you had Kirk, Spock, McCoy. But I, I feel like there are more friendships and friendlier friendships in Voyager than perhaps there are in the other series. A lot of people like to go on with, with Paris and Kim. And while I've really grown to appreciate the dynamic they have between the two of them, I really appreciate the dynamic between Chakotay and Balana and Chakotay and Janeway because I think that that those two relationships um, are really sort of key to understanding the rest of the series for me. Um, I, I've got to say, I, I'm an unabashed Chakotay fan. And I don't understand why people can't stand Chakotay. Kuchimoya. Um, <laughs> Beat me to it, Dan. <laughs> we traveled far from the lands of our fathers. Um I feel that I have a contractual writer that says I have to do an Akuchimoya every time I talk about Chakotay. So, um, but he, I think, he yes, they didn't explore the character enough, but mm-hmm. what Robert Beltran gives us on screen is is fantastic. Every Star Trek has episodes that are dogs. I mean, let's just, let's be honest about sure. that. Episodes that maybe could have used a couple more rewrites, episodes that maybe could have, you know, uh, maybe not made its way to the schedule, but... I love the character of Chakotay because I think that he engenders that that warmth and that fun that Voyager kind of embodies. Um, uh, John, I'll throw it out to you. Um, have you found the same about Chakotay or is there a character you think that, that maybe typifies that a little more? Well, I really like Chakotay. Um, but, you know, the thing about, I think, any of the Maquis characters on the show when I watch it is that and I, well, this isn't even about the Maquis characters. Let me just say as a, as a critique of Voyager, which I think Chakotay is very emblematic of, is that in the premise of the show, they set up all these wonderful story levers that they could pull, and then they never quite pull them. <laughs> you know, So we have these great stories about the Maquis and getting along on, in a Starfleet ship, and I, I, I don't feel like there was ever given a lot of due to that story. Right. I mean, there was a lot of conflict that could have come from that, but they're like, nope, we're all on board and we're going to go, you know, and okay, great. They just kind of, I don't know. I felt like at times I think he would have chafed more and he just seemed to be so accepting of the situation. And of course his, 
secret lerve for Janeway, which, you know, was emblematic in uh, whichever episode it was where they're stranded on the planet, uh, yeah. which cracked me up, you know, where he's like, oh, we're stranded here. Let's build a life together. I'm going to build you a headboard, you know? And he's like immediately into it, you know, like we're going to have and our little lerve shack. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. so you can wash yourself. We're going to have a little love shack down here. And she's like, we got to get off the planet. He's like, yeah, I'm building a bathtub, you know? So <laughs> I, <laughs> he built that thing in like a day and a half too. I, I know he was totally into it, you know? So I, but I, I felt like uh, he was never, they never explored that side of him in the show that like, here he is this Maki leader. And, you know, maybe there's some of that coming up. I might be setting myself up uh, uh, to look like the fool here. I don't know. You guys can tell me, but uh, I felt like they never explored that fully. Uh, they never explored a whole bunch of things related to that. And so when I look at him, I I sense a little bit of the key unturned, that that was a major part of the character I would have loved to have seen uh, was sort of him trying to synthesize his Maquis experience uh, while operating under Janeway's captaincy. And we never got it. So I found that a little bit frustrating. But what we did get of the character, I liked. And I really enjoyed the fact that, especially in season six, uh, I see him doing what I call first officer things, uh, which means he's playing the heavy, which is typically what first officers are supposed to do. You know, and the captain's supposed to sort of be above it all and sort of this lordly, gracious figure that's universally beloved, you know, so the captain gets your loyalty, whereas the XO runs around with a hammer smashing people in their heads. And he does that. You know, he runs around and gives six, uh, six of nine, a uh, seven of nine, uh, a tune up uh, at one point, you know, and says, look, you know, you're screwing up here. Get get right, you know, and I, I just thought that's great. You know, that's what he's supposed to be doing. So I, I really enjoyed him. I thought he was great. Dan, what about you? I mean, um, Akuchimoyas aside, um, <laughs> I have to believe that on some level you, you must like Chakotay, although maybe it's not to the level I do. Where do you come down? I do appreciate Chakotay. I don't. I don't like him as much as, as you guys do. That's not to say I don't like him at all. I do. I appreciate um, I appreciate the character. He's got a lot of strong moments. Um, and I do like the relationship that he builds with Janeway. It's interesting to see someone who is a Maquis become the first officer and really get into the role and appreciate the responsibility and importance of keeping both sets of crews together throughout the entire uh, journey home. And yes, they do kind of fall away with the whole Maquis aspect of it, which I thought was a little short-sighted because there could have been a lot of great conflict stories that came out of it, sort of like what you said, John. Um, but I did appreciate the character and what he brought to the show. I know we we joke about Akuchimoya and we joke about him and call him ma- marbles because sometimes it's the way he talks is a little uh, frustrating and you can't really understand what he's saying sometimes, but I do appreciate it. But for me... I got to say, one of the best friendships on the show that I always appreciated and I think is drastically underappreciated uh, is Tuvok and Neelix. I really think yeah. that friendship is a lot deeper and a lot more... Um, a lot more there than people actually think. A lot of people think, oh, it's just Neelix is being annoying and Tuvok can't stand him. I really don't think that. And I'm not going to give anything away, but John, you'll find out just how important Neelix is to Tuvok's, to, to, to Tuvik's, sorry, to Tuvok, um, when this, when the series, uh, wraps up. Um, so yeah, that's one I've always liked. Now, a lot of people, think Neelix was the the cast off joke character of of the series, but he really did have a lot to contribute to the show. Um, and I've always appreciated what Ethan brought to the role because it was such a I don't want to say negative. Uh, there wasn't a negative um, connotation about the character, but it was never one of the most popular, at least from people that I've talked to. So 
So before I, I before I dive in on Neelix real quick, I, I want to ask you guys a quick question before it escapes my, my gray matter. Do you think that they left some of those story levers unpulled and didn't introduce some of that uh, conflict because Deep Space Nine had so much of it? Do you think that it was it could have been a conscious decision for them to go, you know what, we already have crew members that kind of butt heads on this show. We kind of need to do something different. So let's just have them get along. Do you think that 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 may have played into the decision or do you think it was just they they left that stuff by the wayside, Dan? I like to look at it as they left it by the wayside. Um, since I've watched it and I've also watched Lost, I kind of like the idea of maybe they left them out there on purpose to try to let people make their own judgment as to what might be going on with them. I don't. I don't think I've. I've really. I've really ever thought about whether or not it was done purposefully because of what happened on Deep Space Nine. But if I think about it right now and had to make a decision, I would say no. I don't think they did it for that way. I think they did it as a way to let the watcher uh, of the series decide for themselves what could have happened with some of these. Some of these levers. John, what about you? Dan, I know you're a big Lost fan, so you'll have to pardon me for saying it is the most overrated show of the aughts, uh, without question. <laughs> it is the most overrated show. Uh, hi, we're going to frustrate all the viewers. We're going to uh, annoy everyone endlessly, and we're going to call it art. And you're going to love the fact that we're not going to tell a proper story. And it made me want to fly to L.A. and punch the writers in the face. Um, so... I, I, but I do think that it was intentional in Lost, right? Was to to make a, a defective story, right? That was a feature, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, and it wasn't. I, I did not like that, right? So clearly, whereas in, in Voyager, I just seeing what I've seen of the writers. This is entirely speculative on my part. I don't have any uh, writings or, or interviews to point to, but I just get the feeling that I think a lot of the shows, when they were back in the days of '90s Trek, when you had like the movies and the shows going on. I don't think they were sitting around looking what the other shows were doing in the writer's room. I just don't see that as something that like, you know, Brandon Braga or Ron Moore or, you know, Renee Echevarria or any of the writers that we know from the show were just saying, well, what's Enterprise doing right now? Or, or what's Voyager doing? We should do the opposite. You know, I just don't see them starting a pitch that way. Um, it might have been something that that Berman might have brought because uh, I think that that was kind of his role as sort of the the, the right. overseer and uh, thrall master of all Star Trek. But um, I, I think that uh, the writers would not have done that. I don't think uh, could be wrong, but I just don't feel it. I could see Berman doing that. Um, I have a feeling that that's kind of how Deep Space Nine got its initial shape, partly from Pillar, but partly from Berman probably wanting something that wasn't next gen. Um, but no, I, I, I take all those points. I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, going back to Neelix, I, I have to say that, um, uh, I had two least favorite characters back when I started watching Voyager in days gone by and they were Neelix and Paris. Um, I thought Paris, Paris was too smarmy. Um, I, I thought that everything was just wry sarcasm and I, I'd really had enough of that after about two seasons. And then Neelix, at the time, I found to be super annoying. And I'm going to say uh, I've come around on Neelix. Um, uh, his, his tailorings aside, uh, <laughs> because I think that maybe he went to the Jake Sisko school of design. Um, I have to say Neelix is a delightful character. And I don't think the show is nearly the same without him. I think they needed that element. Um, I think Neelix brings the humanity um, that the, that the crew may not from time to time because they are constantly on the defensive being so far away from home and the only ship in Starfleet in that area of space. But uh, Neelix is is us on some level. 
And I think that's what I really grew to appreciate over time. Um, with regard to his relationship with Tuvok, I have to say, Dan, you're 100% right. I didn't value that that relationship or that eventual friendship as, as much as I did. And I see now what I missed. Mm-hmm. And that is just some great performances, both from Ethan and Tim. But it's great writing for those two characters because they are the oddest of couples. Yeah. Um, but they really do work. I think one of the, my favorite scenes, and I'm not sure what season it's in, so you might not have seen it yet, John, so I am going to spoil it. It doesn't really give anything away. There's one episode where where uh, I forget what's going on, but but Neelix is trying to get Tuvok to, to, to talk a little bit more and, and to and be more social, and he's literally taking his finger and putting it on Tuvok's face and trying to make him smile, and it's one of the funniest moments you'll ever see with Tuvok during the entire series. Well, if my memory serves, though, that is not actually something that happens in, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fake a, story it's, or it's something. A, it's, a, yeah. Yeah, it's happening in like Tuvok's mind yeah, or, or yeah. something like that. I, I don't remember yeah. the exact parameters, but that really didn't, quote unquote, happen in the show. It's funny, though. <laughs> it, it is funny. But it's sort of I, like the friendship that Bill and I have. It's never really happened. <laughs> Unexpected body blow. Um, <laughs> I'm clicking the stop button right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I got to say, when I was going into the show... Uh, all I heard, besides the fact that you know Voyager was supposed to be no good, so get ready to to hate on it, uh, was that Neelix is terrible and he's an awful cook, right? And that's that's all I really knew about it. And I gotta say, Neelix is freaking awesome. Okay, mm-hmm. he is the guy on the ship when they ask him to do all kinds of things, and he's like right there. He's like, "Yep, I'll do my best." Right? He's like, "I, I need you to go do this military thing." Okay, I'll do my best. And yep. off he goes, right? He's the one who goes to Janeway several times throughout the series. And he's like, Captain, I think the crew is really concerned about this or the crew's not feeling good. And I think that here's something you could do to try to improve. He's taking the role of morale officer seriously. He right. provides sage advice to the captain. He demonstrates care and love for all these crew members on the ship, none of whom are from his uh, species, right? He really jumps into the role. Uh, even, you know, and this is a minor point, people bag on his cooking. The the guy does not have any control over what kind of route they pull up on the planet. So he's doing the best he can with whatever he's got available, you know, and I don't think, I don't actually think that it's his cooking skills. It's the fact that he just doesn't have a lot of ingredients, right? He doesn't have the things he's used to, you know, he's just got whatever, whatever they have. Um, for crying out loud, Janeway couldn't replicate a meatloaf. If Neelix was not on board that ship, those people would have starved to death in season one. And wow, there I'll, you go. I'll die on that hill. They, how many times? Did, go ahead, go ahead. It, it's a replicator. It's a computer program. How do you screw up meatloaf? Right? I, it's, how do you screw up meatloaf without a replicator? It was the <laughs> dumbest thing. It was just the dumbest thing. And I'm watching the episode going, Captain doesn't know how to operate. It's a, it, you just say, give me a meatloaf. Could you imagine in TNG if Picard had gone to his replicator, T Earl Grey hot, and he got like a big hot chocolate with like a Santa on top? I mean, what, what in the world would you think was happening? You wouldn't be taking it seriously. And uh, that kind of bugged me uh, in Voyager. So uh, I think that Neelix was incredible. He's awesome. And I wish that every single person had a friend like Neelix because the world would be much improved. Yeah, you know what? That's exactly the feeling I was left with by the end of the series. Uh, I don't know if you know uh, what ha- the uh, the eventual end of Neelix's character arc is, um, so I'm not going to get into that for you now. I don't want to spoil that, but it is it is thoroughly satisfying. Um, I, I I wish I'm glad that Neelix found some some peace 
I feel like he was lost for a long time. It didn't feel like he belonged anywhere until he was on Voyager. Um, but I, I think we did discover that the Delta Quadrant is sick with Leola root, and that's just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's here's two things that I, I did not like about the character of Neelix. One of them is the character. One of them kind of isn't. Those sideburns, I want to rip them right out of his face. I just, oh my God, they drive me insane, especially when you get the view where they're really sticking out. They just, they're, they are so wrong on so many levels. The other thing is, is... The quadrant is big. It's, it's, and it's, it's vastly unexplored. The alpha quadrant is not completely explored either, but Neelix seems to know everything about every area of the delta, uh, of the, of the delta quadrant that they go through. And to me, it's like, wait a minute. How, if he's been here, why, why is, why are they not, why is he not warning him ahead of time? That it just, it didn't seem to gel correctly for me that he knew so much about all this vast area of space when he was from one little small part himself and their race, if I remember correctly, the Talaxians didn't really expand a whole lot. So even though he was a trader and he was out there doing things in his ship, it just didn't fit correctly with me. Am I wrong in that? I would challenge you on that, Dan, in this way. I don't think that that's a criticism of Neelix. I think that that's a criticism of Voyager because the, the, number, one, yeah. the number one thing I would put on Voyager as a, as a critique of the show is that they failed to take their own premise seriously lots of times, hmm. right? I mean, how many, you know, there's that super cut of like watching the Voyager fire photon torpedoes and it begins with Janeway saying, we only have 100 photon torpedoes and they yeah. launched like 380 of them across the, the series and they never address where they came from. Same thing with Shuttlecraft. And then they do things like, you know, in the middle of the episode or in the middle of the series, they decide to spend three days exploring a star, you know, which is a, a very Star Trek thing to do. But wouldn't you think that the crew would be like, um, no, we should be hightailing it for the Alpha Quadrant at Warp 7 at all times, you know, like, you know, I, I get that we're exploring, but that should be incidental to getting home as opposed right. to, hey, let's do a detour here, a detour there, and we'll turn this 70-year trip into 150 years. Everybody on board? Um, and so when they do things like that, it, it, it's a critique, I think, of the show that they didn't really take the premise seriously, and I wish they had done so uh, more so than they did. Okay, that's a very that's a very good way to explain it. So I, I can knock that off the Neelix critique, but I'm still putting those sideburns right up there. You, you want you know here's here's probably an example that's very fresh in my mind of this because I just saw this episode the other day. Uh, it's the one, and I, I don't remember the Voyager episode titles. I'm, I'm sorry, but it's the one where um, there's this uh, woman who shows up and she has sort of a lizard like appearance and she claims to be a, a long lost uh, member of Voyager's crew. Oh yeah, uh, Lindsay yes. Ballard. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic episode, and I, I really gave it really strong uh, marks. But there's a major logic problem that, you know, oh, she was supposed to have been lost six months ago, and then she catches up to Voyager? How, it, under the premise yeah. of the show, how would that even work? I mean, the Voyager would be long gone. Uh, if if right. I dropped you off at some random spot, you know, six months later, given the vastness of the galaxy and the speeds that they're traveling at, just the logic of it makes no sense. And not that it's something to get hung up on for the episode, but I think it's illustrative of the idea that they don't take the, the premise of the show seriously. And they just sort of poo-poo all the mechanics of things, which, you know, sometimes gets me to seize up a little bit, sometimes less so. But I, I do note these things when they happen, for sure. I That episode in particular, which I think is Ashes to Ashes... Yes, um, I think you're right. I, I could be wrong about that, but I, you know, I get I get newbie privileges for a while with Voyager to screw up episode titles. It ends um, today. 
(laughs) (laughs) I think that, although I love that episode, I think you're right about that, Joan. I think it would have been a little more impactful if um, maybe they had introduced that character and had the character on board for a while. And then all of a sudden that character meets their end and then maybe two weeks later. You know, she's back as this other thing um, because I just love the interaction between Harry Kim and Lindsay Ballard. I thought that that was really something they could build. I thought it would have been great for for Garrett to go through and in, in, in playing Harry Kim. I thought it would have been great for the Lindsay Ballard character. But they sort of, you know, oh, we need to create a person that Harry has a connection with. Oh, and they return after being dead for six months. All right, let's do that. And you're right. I think that if they had taken the even the premise of the series a little more seriously in in breaking that story, I think it it could have been even better than it was, and it was pretty good. Well, I think that's an example of why uh, when Ron Moore uh, went to do Battlestar Galactica, he took it very seriously because the the apocryphal story I hear, and I, I do believe he's talked about this, is that when he first started on Voyager, he wanted to be very serious about it. And he's like, all right, I'm going to get on the whiteboard and we're going to write down how many shuttles, how many people, how many photon torpedoes, and we need to keep be keeping track of all this, guys. And I... I believe Brennan Bragg was like, yeah, we ain't doing any of that, you know, <laughs> just, just forget all that. And he's like, but this is the premise of the show. And so when he did Battlestar, he's like, you know what? We're going to put up a whiteboard with a number of people in the fleet. And like, we are going to, and I think that was all a direct, uh, uh, reaction to his experience on Voyager where, where it, in spite of his insistence to, to keep track of the stuff, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let him do it. I, I remember when I heard Ron Moore was coming on board the Voyager staff. I was so psyched back in the day because at the time, Ron Moore was my favorite DS9 writer. I attended so many of those AOL chats that he did, you know, to have fans just pose Deep Space Nine questions and, and Next Gen. And he was just so in tune with with fandom because he himself was a super fan. So, you know, he comes on, he does a, a couple of episodes, one of which I think was Barge of the Dead, or at least a very Klingon heavy episode if it wasn't that one. And I'm like, yeah. And then all of a sudden I find out, yeah, he's gone from the show. I'm like, what? Huh? But I think that was a really missed opportunity. I think you're right. Yeah. So uh, it's funny. This is you know now that you're a completist, Bill and John, you're all, you're almost a completist. It's kind of it's kind of talked into a Voyager only conversation here, which is good. I mean, I like it. Yeah. We're prepping for Voyager twenty five, and I do want to talk about some other things. I'm going to throw a question to you in a minute, Bill. Yeah, um, that is not specifically Voyager related, but I will say, staying on topic of Voyager, one of my biggest criticisms of Voyager is how they handled the Borg. I've said it many times. They turned turned what was easily the most terrifying alien enemy species on TOS and, and in Star Trek history and completely turned them into a, a has-been uh, by the time uh, the series wrapped up. It really was disappointing to me what they did with uh, a lot of the story arcs about the Borg, and it 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 does kind of take a little bit of the of the shine off of the series for me a little bit. John, what do you think? Do you think that uh, what you've seen so far, uh, do you agree with that, or or do you have a different take on it? Well, I think part of the power of the Borg was their mystery, right? And and it is true that that the show does open up the curtain behind the Borg to show you kind of what's going on in there a little bit. Um, and so, of course, you've got the whole seven character and, you know, the idea of being a, a liberated Borg and, and what that means, I think was all very interesting. But I, I don't feel that, that they got, um, I don't know if the, the right word here was nerfed, uh, in some way. Wussified is what it, I usually say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's fair. Uh, I don't really <laughs> feel that so much. I think they were a tool 
uh, that they used in storytelling to really compare and contrast uh, our human characters against and to tell interesting stories. I mean, I will say I'm watching the episodes right now where the Borg kids show up. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's the part of the, the series that I'm at. And while for a while I was thinking, this is kind of weird. I don't know how I feel about this, you know. But so far, I'm enjoying how they're using it. You know, I, I the one thing I said in the episode that I – one of the episodes I just watched was I want these kids to have a scene with Naomi Wildman more than anything else. Please, 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 right? And then they did, right? And you got to compare and contrast how she responded versus how the board kids responded, right, in these various scenarios. And I thought – that's what Star Trek is all about, right? It's supposed to tell us about humanity in by using the sci-fi context, right? To help yeah. us talk about humanity. And I think that they were using the tool that they had uh, to do that. Now, could they have gone deeper? I think they could have. Uh, could they have given us more? I think they could have. Um, you know, it's, it's one of these unpulled levers like we've been talking about on the show. Uh, but they did use them in sort of a lighter way to really just compare against our characters. And uh, I, I didn't mind it too much. I mean, I think okay. that um, there were some races that I don't think we ever really got an understanding of. Like, I don't – we were talking before. It might have been before we actually started recording about the Kazon and how they were just sort of these mustache-twirling bad guys, right? We don't understand mm. sort of why their society is that way and sort of what they're all about. Uh, we never got that. They're just the bad guys and they have these yeah. wacky majas and, and what goes on with them, you know, and we don't really understand it. And they're just sort of these, you know, paper tigers, right? Uh, and whereas the Borg got, I think, a better treatment. So – uh, if you want to point to some bad guys that didn't get the full Lerv treatment, I think there's some other ones that, that we could talk about. <laughs> Bill, I think um, for me, one of the missteps that the Borg, the Borg and Voyager was, and, and, and I'd be interested in getting your opinion on it, just finishing it, is I think that they focused too heavily on the – and this could be blasphemous for some people. They focused too heavily on the Borg Queen being such – the controlling factor. Now I understand she is the queen and she controls the hive, but it seems that the power that she had and the way that she was able to wield that power, like being able to communicate with a board cube, who knows how far and just instantly have them self-destruct and things like that. It kind of didn't work for me. And I, and, and although the, the performances, um, by the people that, that played the board queen, uh, in Voyager was good. I sometimes thought that that was one aspect of the Borg that they kind of, messed up a little bit and and how everything was so um dependent on what she did and what she thought i I can understand that on some level in my own brain before i got through voyager i envisioned the borg like like bees um some people have said ants but i've always thought bees were a much better comparison because you know each hive um in theory has a queen and i figured that each cube was its own hive uh, the drones are the worker bees and, and the queen is is the queen. And, you know, when we got to Voyager and you got deep into the series and you found out the Borg Queen could communicate with all of these other hives, uh, using air quotes, it struck me as kind of a little odd. And then I said, well, you know, okay, if the Borg are one and each cube is essentially one giant uh, subspace antenna, if you will, to talk to the other Borg, which I think is is feasible. And they're using the collective uh, compute of the Borg drones, to use a a current cloud term, if you will. Uh, I could see it happening. Um, Maybe there was a centralized power structure and not a decentralized power structure. Um, 
but still it's it's a bit of a reach mm-hmm. i think there were many things with the borg that they tried to do that were interesting to keep them fresh and to keep them a threat to voyager since voyager was in their space but it seemed to run counter to what we believed and i think it goes a lot to what john was talking about uh, regarding the uh, the mysterious factor you know the borg were a threat because we didn't understand them and when we got to understand them more we realized that they were still a threat but when we got to the whole partial assimilation episode, I was like, come on. <laughs> that, just, uh, that just wouldn't – partial assimilation? Come on. I won't uh, I won't give it away because it's a spoiler. But, John, after you have watched the series finale, please let me know because I have my biggest criticism of the Borg based on what happens in that last episode. Bill, I think you know what I'm talking about. It has to do with metal and we'll get – we won't say anything more than that. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> so, All right. We'll do it. We'll do it. Absolutely. So, Bill, I'm going to put you on the spot right now, if you don't mind. I don't okay. think I've mentioned this to you. You are now a completist. Welcome to the club, by the way. John, Thank you. Uh, we're looking forward to welcoming you uh, as well. Um, so now you've watched all the series. Yes. I want you to put them in order as to what is your favorite. Just quick uh, and simple. Well, I, I think that it's it takes a lot to unseed Deep Space Nine is my favorite. Um, I think it will always be my favorite um, based on uh, the time of my life when it when it was on and how vested I was in the series. Um, sort of right after that would probably have to be the original series. Um, it's sort of like 1-1-A. One, one mm-hmm. um, and, and then it gets a little muddier because I, I feel like my answer could change on any given day based on what I've rewatched or right. – you know, uh, sentimentality, if you will, or or whatever. So uh, I'm going to go, oh, this is hard. I'm going to have to say that, so Deep Space Nine, TOS, today, as we sit here right now, having recently finished Voyager, I'm going to put Voyager at number three. And then I'm going to go, this is going to surprise a lot of people, Discovery, Next Gen, Enterprise animated series. That's, that's my pretty, that's, that's a, my good. stack that's, ranking. That's a that's a pretty pretty and good there, list. There's not a lot of wiggle room in between some of those. Right. Mm. I mean, we're not talking like a wide gap like, you know, uh like Star Trek 4 and Star Trek 5. There's a wide <laughs> gap there in them. <laughs> but we're talking like maybe a, a hair width in between some of those. And I don't hate any of them. I mean, I, I've grown to love all of the Star Trek series, even the animated series, for what they are because they're Star Trek. Um, but you know, if I had to rank it today, phaser to my head, um, I, I got to make the choice. That's where it is. That's um, where does Voyager come in for you, Dan? And then John, I guess we'll say where at the point you're in in Voyager, where does it come in? So. I, I I'm looking at your list. I wrote it down as you were saying, and I gotta say it, it's right. It's it's very similar. I um um even though I had some criticisms about the end of season two for for Discovery, Discovery season two may be one of my favorite seasons of Star Trek ever because of the things that they did in it. So I would probably flip flop Voyager and Discovery right now, and and what you said in your list. But like you said, 
it can change on a day. I may yeah. watch I may watch um the the year of hell tomorrow and Voyager will pop right back up to the to the number three spot because that's one of my favorite Voyager, if not the best two parter in Star Trek history. I absolutely love that episode. So it is very it is very related to what you're watching at the time. Uh, but I think other than swapping Voyager and Discovery from your list, uh, it's pretty much the same. John? So I have to give two caveats. One we've talked about already, which is I haven't finished Voyager yet, so I'm towards the end of season six, so I have some left to consume. And two, I haven't seen Enterprise since original broadcast. I, I did watch okay. it all, but I, I, it's not fresh in my mind, so I, I don't feel like I can competently talk about it uh, so right. much. But for me, uh, TOS is at the top, uh, and I don't see anything that's going to supplant that. And that includes like the TOS movies too are kind of in there as well. So TOS yeah. and the TOS movies. And I think right now I would put Voyager second uh, for how much wow. I'm enjoying it. You know, Excellent. and it might be, it might be the recency effect, which is a, a real thing. I, I don't know. Uh, I think I have to have a little more distance uh, to, yep. to, to adjudicate that correctly. But uh, right now I am just enjoying it so, so much. Uh, that I would put it number two overall. Um, and then uh, maybe I would put TNG after that, uh, then Deep Space Nine, which, you know, didn't, uh, I just, it just didn't connect with me for a, for a multitude of reasons. Um, it's not a criticism of the show. It's just it's how, how I related to it. And, Why do you uh, hate America? It's, uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to add your name to my clipboard, Dan Davidson. You don't want that. Again. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put once. your name again. I'm going to put a star now. <laughs> but, okay. uh, you know, when I asked you guys, uh, you told me the topic of this show, and I didn't get a lot of structure. You guys wanted to keep it freeform, yeah. uh, which is fine. But I'm I'm more of a structure person, so... Uh, I didn't preview this with you, but I prepared some <laughs> lightning round questions for you, Bill. And I'm going to hit you with these because I think now is the appropriate time, if that's okay. Yes. That's amazing because I was thinking about doing an off the top of my head lightning round. So th this just plays into my own, you know, caffeine addled brain. So I love this. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read out a, a sentence with a blank in the middle. And I just want you to fill in the blank with the first word that comes into your head. Okay. Okay. All right. Discovery is the most different from the rest of the series because blank. Because of its serialized nature. It, it tells one story like a novel each season, um, which is very different from Deep Space Nine serialization. Um, I, I think that it, it truly is its own animal because of that. Enterprise has the best blank of all Star Trek. Oh, man. Um... I'm going to say optimism. Okay, Dan, you want to weigh in on that one? Yeah. Beagle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is true. <laughs> when, when I think of Deep Space Nine, the first thing I think of is blank. Cisco. TNG was the best at blank. Oh, you are horrible. Um <laughs> <laughs> TNG is the best at blank. Um, I, I, wow, I don't even know where to begin. Um, there are a lot of things that that TNG did well. I will say that that TNG is the best at uh, how to successfully wrap up a Star Trek series. Okay, Voyager is the most blank of all Star Trek. Uh, fun. I think I've come to that realization just in this discussion. I think it is the most fun of all the Star Treks. And finally, uh, TOS has the least blank of all Star Trek. Oh, 
Uh, <laughs> Dan has his hand raised. Dan wants to uh, weigh in on that one. I know, I know. Uh, TOS has the least cannon violations. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that's not that's not really my answer. That's oh, not really dear. my answer. I will say TOS has the least character development of all the Star Trek series. Um, their characters, it being a truly episodic series, yes, there's character development, but there are not the arced kind of journeys that we see in later Star Treks. Hmm. Dan? Some, something that I hate, TOS has the least political correctness of the Star Trek series. Okay. It's fair. I, I would have said, um, and this may sound like a criticism, but it's not uh, sci-fi spectacle. Yes, interesting. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, Discovery has a lot of that. You know, probably the the most of anything, right? You know, it has the most uh, explodey stuff, and you know, uh, sort of sci-fi spectacle, right? Action adventure sort of effects, right? It's really about mm-hmm. the effects and how they did that, right? Uh, Star Trek didn't have the TOS didn't have that, right? So they they were all about story, you know. They had the, the models on the string, right? That that's all they had. So uh, you probably got the le- if you if you want sci-fi spectacle, TOS is probably not for you. <laughs> So thank you for playing along with that. No, thank you for for bringing that to the table. That was awesome. Um, This makes me think that, you know, if we're going to talk about Voyager and the fact that I finished the series, over the years, before I actually made it through Voyager, I have probably made my fair share of jokes about Captain Janeway and her ability to command a vessel. And I'm going to sit here and say, oh, I was dead wrong the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I made a lot of jokes based on... Uh, stereotype. I made a lot of jokes based on just to rile people up, you know, to, to be that sort of pot stirrer, if you will. One of my favorites was Janeway got the ship lost on day one. Picard uh, surrendered the Enterprise twice in the first season. He did. He did. <laughs> um, <laughs> just want to point that out. That he did. Um, but I have to say that, that over time, Janeway has probably become one of my favorite captains. Um, I appreciate the humanity that Janeway brings to the role and, and at times the vulnerability because the other captains don't necessarily allow for that. So I'm going to put the two of you on the spot and I'm going to ask you where Janeway ranks in um, ranking the Star Trek captains. And John, I'm going to go with you. Um, if you had to stack rank the captains today, as it stands right now, where would Janeway come in? I think I would have to. I think it would mirror, uh, ha, mirror my um, my my series ranking. I think I would put I would put Janeway second only to Captain Kirk uh, in a lot of ways. And I will say though that I think that she has certain skills and abilities that that really make her stand out. Um, as someone who, in my professional life, I do uh, organizational development, I do HR, I do leadership development, and personal development and professional development at a at a firm. And so, you know, basically corporate training, right? And right. when I when I look at Janeway, she is probably the the leader in Star Trek that we see with the most amount of emotional intelligence. She is really concerned about the crew, about how the crew is feeling, about each and every member of her crew and how they're functioning in a way that that I don't think any of the ca- other captains demonstrated. Uh, it's not to say they didn't care about those things, but but she actually demonstrates it many times. And you know, Neelix will come to her and say something like, you know, that this person is is not having a good day, and she's like, mm, what can we do about this, right? And and really focuses on it. Whereas I don't see like some of the other captains, you know, having a discussion like that. Uh, or, and I, I see some of them outright dismissing that. So I, I think that uh, she has a real set of leadership qualities which were very special, and I think were particularly 
suited to the environment that she ends up in, where she really has to be concerned about how people are feeling and how they're functioning on the ship, because this is the life we've got. It's not like you're going to transfer any of these people and get a replacement, right? So you have to make it work with what you've got. And I don't see some of the other captains being able to operate successfully in that way. I mean, we just saw, as we sit here and record this, uh, we just saw the, the latest short track, right? With, without giving anything away, one of the things that happened is, is this new captain says to one of the people, you're a troublemaker. You're Audi. I'm, I'm going to get somebody to replace you and just decides to do that, right? That's something that is not available to, to Janeway. And so she really has, just like Neelix has to make dinner with Leola Root and whatever else is at hand. She's got to really accomplish this really, uh, this really huge mission just with what she has at hand. And I think that, that she was well suited to that. And I think that she's a role model for that. And I admire her. Excellent. Dan, what about you? You know, if you had to think about Janeway's place in the, the pantheon of Star Trek captains, where does she, where does she fall? Well, it's, it's kind of hard for me to give us a, a definitive answer to that. And I think part of the reason is with the, the nostalgia and the, and the, um, Looking forward so much to the new Picard series that 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 I'm putting Picard probably at the top right now. Um, he was the most diplomatic. Um, he was the most suave, I think. Um, and I just I, what Patrick Sir Patrick Stewart brings to the role is just amazing. But I'll put Janeway, and that can flip flop actually as the top. A lot of people would probably think I choose Cisco as the top, and I really don't because he's either whispering or yelling at you. Um, and he was only a captain for a few seasons of the show, so it's a little difficult to put him up there. But he was awesome. But Janeway, she had so many things that she had to deal with. First of all, she had to deal with the guilt of stranding them there. She made that decision to strand the crew um, after destroying the, the the caretaker array. And so she has to deal with that. And she also has to deal with two fighting factions of crews and how to get them to become, um, to work together with Maquis and Federation. And she has this family aspect where she's kind of the mother of the ship, uh, to not, you know, to coin a phrase, so to speak, but it re- she really is. She has to be able to, to meld her Starfleet training and her captain abilities along with making sure that the people are getting along and stay focused on the mission of getting home. And so that's a tremendously added amount of pressure that a regular Starfleet captain would not have to deal with um, in Federation space. And I think she's got an added layer of of complexity because of that. So uh, after her, I would probably put Cisco and then Archer. And I actually would probably put Kirk in terms of captains down towards the bottom, which as I was writing the list right now, really surprised me because when you look at it, the things that he does as captain in TOS, you got to sometimes scratch your head and go, what was he thinking? And how many violations of the prime directive did he have? And I'm not to say that any other captain didn't, but it was kind of, it could have been the prime directive violation show a lot of times on TOS. So, um, Janeway, I, I, and one more thing I want to add, Bill, we've joked about it, like you said, nothing, nothing can take away what Kate Mulgrew has brought to that character. She, is just so unbelievable in that role. And we have talked so many times here on Trek Geeks about this role couldn't have been played by anybody else. Here's a perfect ex- definition of it. Somebody tried to. Uh, Guenevieve, is that how you pronounce her first yeah, name? Genevieve Bujold. Uh, Bujold. Yeah. You know, we see the we see some of the first day shooting or the only day shooting that she did, and this show would have been a, a a and I'm sorry, I don't mean to speak negatively of anyone. This show would have been a tremendous failure if if. If um, if yeah. she was Janeway, Kate Mulgrew, I-, I love that woman. 
to death. I I am so excited for this 25th anniversary coming up. And she has recently tweeted out how honored she is to have played this role. And she appreciates what, what it did for her, for her career and for the Star Trek universe and for fans. And, I just got to give her all the props in the world for it. I, I totally agree with that, Dan. I just want to echo that to say that uh, Kate Mulgrew was just spectacular, and I have nothing but respect for the woman. But you did mention one thing that, as an aside, and I and I just I want to address it, and this might be the the, the right time, even though it's it's not the main topic though, uh, which is. I often saw in Deep Space Nine, people would criticize the show uh, because Cisco was only a commander and not a captain, as if that that was some kind of issue. And I, I just want to say that that. In reality, it, like in military structures, and this isn't the American military, this is all sort of quasi-military organizations, being in command is what gives you the authority. There mm-hmm. are plenty of people who are commanding ships right now who are not at the rank of right. captain. Because he's in command of the station, that's what gives him his authority. The number of pips on his collar is not relevant. Uh, and I know people oh, right. I- feel like that's an issue, you know, but, it, you know, there's and there's a meta reason, too, that the character was written to be played by a much younger actor who was much earlier in his career, and they cast against that. And, you know, they're like, oh, Avery Brooks is so fantastic. They put him in the role, even though he was older than I think the character was supposed to be, because uh, the idea he was supposed to be like an up-and-coming younger officer. Right. Uh, so and- there's – oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and 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 totally, I say that tongue in cheek. I didn't care that he was not captain until uh, later in the seasons. I was more; uh, it was more important to me when he shaved his head than when he became captain, and I mean that one hundred percent. So, yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah, when so. he got to go full on hawk, that was really the turning point. <laughs> so, I got a question for you, Bill, uh, which yeah. is, what did you learn about Star Trek from Voyager? Wow! Look at you. You're bringing the heat today, man. Deep that's cut. That's the, that's up and inside. You know, that's that's on the strike zone. Um, wow. Um, I well, you know, it, it's kind of funny because it, it's brought home for me something that uh, that I'd heard before, and it, it, so uh, back when Star Trek: The Experience used to be in in Las Vegas at the at the Hilton. They had the two rides. They had the, um, the the Klingon Encounter and the Borg Invasion 4D. And part of that ride is uh, the Borg Invasion 4D. It was a Voyager theme ride. And, you know, uh, you got to go on this uh, shuttle with the 3D glasses and it had the seats that poked you and, and blew mist in your face. And at the end, there's a narration from Captain Janeway. And um, the, it concluded with, with four words, which was resistance is never futile. And I think that's what it's taught me. Um, For as as much as we think that, you know, we are insignificant and small, and this goes back to kind of like the message of mirror, mirror, and, you know, that one person can start a revolution. uh, Resistance truly is never futile. Um, If it's something you believe in, if it's something that, that is who you are, then that in itself is, is worth advocating for and worth fighting for. I think that's what it's taught me. Wonderful. Wow, see, that's pretty deep. Ooh, I, 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 wow, I had I, to prepare. I made a list of questions. I had to. I, oh, my that's, God. That's, that's how I am. Well, I'm sorry, guys. If you don't direct me, I'm going to make up my own stuff. That's kind of what no, I No, I think that's fa- <laughs> fantastic. You know, here I, you know, we figured we'd go a little coffee clatch and we get to Nightline over here. This is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I have to say, so for the longest time, James T. Kirk was was my boyhood hero. Um, and for the longest time, he was the captain for me. And I have to say that 
in taking time to 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 think about the captains and and my own Star Trek fandom, I, I have to say that it's probably been a long time since Kirk has been my captain. You know, I think about my captains and it becomes a very personal thing for Star Trek fans, right? You know, they identify with with one of these leaders or, you know, they picture themselves on a starship and say, that's who I'd want to serve under. And after giving it some thought, and I think that, you know, perhaps maybe having watched these recently, it bumps some of them up. But um, I have to say that probably Anson Mount's Captain Pike is number one for me. I completely forgot about him. I can't believe it. Yeah, he's number one. Um, because I think he embodies what they wanted to embody with Kirk in a modern um, mindset. Um, number two, I have to say, is probably Catherine Janeway. And she's right there, like hair width, right after Pike, because of that optimism, because resistance is never futile, because she brings a humanity and, uh, like you said, John, sort of a an emotional awareness that the other captains just didn't do or have at the time. Number three for me, I think I have to say, is, is probably Jean-Luc Picard. And that's trying to think of all of Picard. You know, if I took season one Picard, I'd think, yeah. But by the time he gets to season seven, he is probably the captain of captains. And probably Kirk comes down to number four for me. I love Benjamin Sisko, but like you said, Dan, he's either yelling or whispering or poisoning planets. Um, so he's probably the fifth. I love Jonathan Archer. I think Archer is a fantastic character, but unfortunately that means he's at the sixth position. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I, I come in on these. But Janeway really, uh, I think, is underestimated uh, by people who who don't love Voyager or who haven't given Voyager another rewatch. Because I really think she's one of the finest captains that Starfleet has ever given us in television. I I just can't believe that I forgot to put Pike in my list. I'm ashamed. You should ashamed. be. No, it, it, it's, a, it's a good thought. Because you're, you're absolutely right. And we've said it on Discovering Trek. He has become my favorite captain because of all because of what Anson Mount did in just that season of Discovery. Absolutely incredible. His performance is amazing. And knowing that he knows what's going to happen to him, yet he still chooses to take that fate and make it his own in order to help what's going on in the moment with uh, with season two is just remarkable to me. You know, you know every we hope these oh go ahead, John. Every now and then there's there's People that are in Star Trek, and this is true in all entertainment, but you know we're here talking about Trek today, uh, which is that there's these characters that do so much with so little, and you just see something in it that just connects with you, right? And I felt that way about Captain Robau in Star Trek 2009. Yeah, like, he was the guy. Yeah. I wanted to know more about him. I just, I just loved everything about him. His decisiveness, his ability to like, he, you know, he was. He took a very risky decision and went into it with just full awareness of what was probably going to happen to him. And I, I admired him so much from that just little bit we got of him. And I felt the same way about Pike, you know, is that we had so little of him uh, in the series overall, but it just was so amazingly well done. And it is actually a concern for me, uh, which obviously can't be addressed yet because we don't know what's going to happen in season three. But the most interesting parts of Star Trek Discovery sailed off on the Enterprise at the end of season two. Uh, right. And that was mm-hmm. Pike, Spock, and uh, number one. Uh, the three exactly. things I was most interested in are off the show now. And so I'm thinking, eh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I was Pike's. really taken with them. Pike series. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next short trek is going to be Pike. Uh, the yeah. ask not. So I hope we see Dr. Boyce on a little tangent. <laughs> I would Will love that. Play- 
will he be played by Robert De Niro? Because De Niro now at this age looks like Dr. Boyce did in the case. (laughs) No. Um, So um, as as I think about uh, other things in Voyager, I guess we'll probably end with this question because it's one that invariably comes up when Voyager is talked about. It's probably one of Voyager's most memorable episodes, if 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 not for the reason that that Janeway makes a horrible decision at the end. Um, and so I, I put it to you this way. Um, uh, should she have killed Tuvix? <laughs> I hate you so much right now. Well, I see, but now I can participate in this conversation because I've made it through the series. So, um, I, I, yeah, will, yeah. I will go. There are times when things happen in Star Trek that I can't let go of, right? So, if if you want an example outside of Voyager, right? Uh, anytime people want to tell me about how great Benjamin Sisko is, I'll be like, "Oh, you mean the captain who abandoned his pregnant wife and child? You mean that one, that guy, <laughs> right? Yeah, he's yeah he's a role model, right? And so it's it's something that I just keep coming back to. And I know people want to beat me up on it, you know. Come at me, bro, on Twitter. We can talk. Um, so there are times when we we get caught up in these things on the show, and Tuvix is one that really made me seize up only because. It cannot be described as anything other than murder. And sometimes people say, well, she had to save her other crewmen, right? So basically it was mur- it wasn't murder because reasons. That that's basically the answer that sometimes people give me. And I say, well, you know, I've brought this up before on the show, and, and this is sort of the thing I go back to, which is to say, if it's okay to to kill one person to save two, then the Vidians are superheroes and we should uh, admire them because they're doing the exact same thing. So, wow. you know, it, then, yeah. then when the, when the Vidians come, we should all just lay down on the deck and be like, take my organs because that is the correct decision, right? If it's okay to kill one to save many, the Vidians are perfectly okay. And what makes it interesting is that the Vidians are at the exact same time in the show as the Tuvix episode. So yes. it's a wonderful contrast. Now, I mean, there's all the meta reasons, right? We know that they're not going to shake up the show in, in a big way like that. We know that they're not going to keep this guy. But the fact remains, he was in... Uh, an innocent, sentient being who was not a clear and present danger. He wasn't trying to kill you. He, he didn't have a weapon pointed at somebody, you know, and and, and they chose to to end his life to, to bring back Tuvok and, and Neelix, characters I like. Uh, so you can say that it was justified, but it was straight up murder, boys. Sorry. Oh, it was, but should she have done it? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have made that call. All right, that's fair, Dan. Well, it's, I don't know if I'm going to give an answer to the question, but I'm going to describe a couple of feelings that I have. And that's, look at Odo. Odo wiped out an entire colony on a planet because he loved Kira. Wiped him from, not just didn't just kill him, wiped him from ever existing. And so it's, it's quite a dilemma. And Janeway is faced with the same thing. It's, it's, I agree with you, John, but at the same time, if I was in that position, would I have done the same thing? Because I wanted, you know, selfishly, I want the people back that, that cease to exist because of this transporter problem or however that you want to define how it, how it occurred. It's, that's why I'm glad I'm not a captain and could never be captain of a Starfleet vessel because I don't want to make that decision and I don't know if I could. So, so did Janeway make the right decision? Should she have done it? I don't know. Okay, no, that's fair. Hey, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. That's yeah. as viable an answer as yes or no. I mean, um, it, I, I can accept that. It could be one of the biggest 
should she should this person have questions in the entire 53 year history of the franchise one of the most um mm-hmm. controversial moments possibly of Absolutely. the entire franchise it's a tough one it's oh man it's nah, oh I'm now I've, now I'm depressed i, I thought I it was just <laughs> I thought it was yeah, just great in the episode. One thing, which is, I thought it was just great in the episode that the EMH stands up for his ethics, right? He stands up for his Hippocratic yes. oath. He's like, uh, "I am not doing this, right?" So I'm outie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. right? Which was correct as far as I can see. Right. It, 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 I mean, he's a glorified computer program. I mean, that's the other beauty of this is that it, you know he's got this ethical subroutine, and although he's grown as an individual, he's like, "Nope, this is wrong. I can't do this." And That's he's right. perfectly right to do it. Uh, I agree with everything the two of you just said. Yes, it's murder. Yes, I mean it's it it it's a it's a plot contrivance, and we had to get the two characters back. But I'm going to go out there and say, oh yeah, she should have done it ten times, and maybe an eleventh time on Sunday, um, because I think that she needed separately Tuvok and Neelix because of what they meant to her and those relationships. Um, does it justify it? Does it make it right? Oh no, it doesn't make it right. But if I'm Catherine Janeway and I'm in that position, I'm doing the same thing. So Dan, if you were ever fused with another being, know that I'm going to sacrifice that being to get you back. Thanks pal. Or if you are currently a fused being, I'm sorry, buddy, you're out of (laughs) here. I'm not to the best of my knowledge. I am not a fused being. Now this brings up another question selfishly for Bill. Yeah. Voyager 25 is coming up next year. We're going to do a lot of shows about Voyager. We need to deep dive Tuvik's buddy. Um, well, since you seem to be the executive producer now, I guess we're going to do that. So, Thank you for um, recognizing that. Uh, Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a suggestion, boss. <laughs> Bo- oh, bo- I got boss now. One of these days Work I'll be like an drama. admiral or something. <laughs> well, it's a good thing we've got Trek Geeks HR here. There you go. That's right. John's new title. Where do I send my oh, bill? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, you, you pay us for the privilege because you're one of our Patreon producers, for which we are inestimably grateful. Ah, oh, that's true. That's true. I, um, I really am, am excited by the fact that I enjoyed Voyager as much as I did. I'm, uh, you know, I, I go on the record in saying that I was wrong about a great many things with regard to Star Trek Voyager. Um, uh, not only do I love the series, I love Captain Janeway. I think she's one of the best captains that that we've ever seen in Star Trek. I know that's going to rub some people the wrong way, but I, you know, I, I get it. I was there once. I think that streaming this series actually helped me develop yep. a new appreciation for it. You know, back back when I was on Trek Profiles, John, we talked about the way people consume and, mm-hmm. and whether or not streaming has changed that perception. Um, I guess in hindsight now, I can say, yeah. Yeah, I actually think it has because I think I was able to form more of a bond and a relationship with this series by consuming it that way than I was previously any other way. Uh, certainly when it was in first run because it was just so hit or miss on the schedule. So uh, I think that, you know, if, if there's a Star Trek series out there that people either haven't finished watching or just haven't been able to get through, I, if it's me, I, I think you should give it another try because I think you'd be surprised at what you may learn, not only about that Star Trek, but maybe about um, your fandom in the process. So that's that's kind of my my soapbox moment on Voyager, gentlemen. I thank you both for for uh, your support in this uh, in these times, um, at, at, in which Voyager has brought me to completion. 
Oh, wait, I probably shouldn't oh. say that. Oh, <laughs> oh um, that, that gives me a pain right here. That. I have a pain right here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're the one who said I should go with that line. So, uh, <laughs> Oh, the I, regrets uh, are deep. <laughs> I know. The, the first cut is the deepest. Um, but uh, I, I look forward to celebrating Voyager's 25th next year. And, and talking a lot about these characters and these episodes, and especially the Seater Skippets, which return in January. Yes. I'm very excited about that. Um, final thoughts on, on Voyager Dan? It's, it's, it's underappreciated. I think it's specifically for what you said, because people can now stream it um, and binge watch it on the different platforms. It is going to come to a level, maybe not as high a level as what Deep Space Nine has become over its last 20 years, but but probably uh, something or 30 years, however long it is, 25. Um, it's 25. It's 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 gonna be it's gonna have a new appreciation, and I think as we get close to 25 and STLV and the celebration that we have out there, and then Destination Star Trek and all the year long celebrations, it's really gonna come to a new. Uh, head and it's going to be sharing a spotlight with some of the best trek out there john as you prepare to to start in on the final season of voyager Mm -hmm. what are you hoping for the most and looking forward to the most i hope that they continue on the the runway that they've been on uh i think the show has been very successful in my interpretation of it it's certainly there are some some criticisms we've gotten into a little bit here on the show but uh overall i think it has been spectacular and it was a very good decision for me to try to put aside what people had told me about the show and just right. to watch it and enjoy it on my own terms. And one of the things that I have really enjoyed about live tweeting it, which I do uh, on Twitter as I watch the episodes, and I really am live tweeting it as I'm watching it, is that seeing people's reactions to when uh, something lands with me that didn't land with them or an episode that other people hated, which I found delightful. And even the inverse, when I look at an episode, I go, this is terrible. And people are like, that is one of the most beloved episodes. You are incorrect in your opinion. And I think that that's the, one of the glories of the fandom is that we can uh, come together and and have different interpretations of this smaller piece of this greater thing that we love so much. So if you are hearing the sound of my voice and there is some Star Trek that you have not yet watched, I would encourage you in all sincerity, go watch it. Give it a second look, uh, put aside the, what other people say about it and just approach it as neutrally as you can and, and find something to, to love about it. Cause what you'll see is that there'll be another facet of Star Trek that'll be, uh, shown unto you when you, uh, take it in and, and watch it, whether it's Voyager, TOS, or, you know, even animated series, you know, it certainly has a few highlights too. So go watch it, consume it, become a completist. You won't regret it. John, thank you so much for joining us today. It is always a, a treat and an honor and a privilege to have you on Trek Geeks. Um, where might people find your amazingly fine podcast and where might they stalk you on social media to see your Voyager live tweets? Oh, you can find me at Trek Profiles pretty much everywhere, uh, facebook.com slash Trek Profiles or on Twitter at Trek Profiles, all one word. And I live tweet my Voyager episodes as I watch them, usually in the evenings. Uh, and it's funny because you can kind of tell when all the, the new TV comes on because my Voyager <laughs> watch slows down. And then like when November sweeps are over, I'll, I'll pick back up because now everything's <laughs> on. So I'm watching, you know, new shows, but, uh, I let Voyager fill in the cracks. So, uh, my hope is is to get uh, Voyager all done by maybe February or March as we record this. 
Nice. nice. Larry Nemechek, everybody. Thank you so much. <laughs> I was going to say thanks, Larry. <laughs> well, Dan, we'd be horrible human beings. Well, I mean, you're a horrible human being, but we'd both be horrible human beings if we didn't thank our friends, the band Five Year Mission. They who now have a podcast on this very network, what? which is fantastic. But, you know, that's not really a surprise because all of their albums are fantastic and their music is fantastic. So we want everyone to head on out to fiveyearmission.net, get a copy of each of their CDs, get them mailed to your, your wonderful home, put them on and become huge fans of Five Year Mission just like we are. They're every bit of music you hear on Trek Geeks and uh, we guarantee you're going to become a huge fan of theirs. Uh, just like we are, because we love all their music. So that's fiveyearmission.net. Go get all their albums. And again, sincere thanks to to everyone in the band for uh, for making just such wonderful, wonderful music. Fiveyearmission.net. It's a fun site. They're a fun group of people. You know, I was watching an episode and we talked Voyager today, and it, it ties in perfectly, as usually these segments do. Um, the whole band was brainwashed in this episode into taking new jobs uh, on an industrialized planet that had severe labor shortages. Uh, and it only left Chakotay, Kim, and Neelix, who were on an away mission, and the doctor, who in the absence of the crew had become the emergency command hologram to save them. Very stressful episode. Uh, what'll happen to Noah, Patrick, Mike, Chris, and Andy? Well, you'll have to watch part two of the of this episode to find out. It's a brilliant two-parter on Voyager. And I talk about, of course, work farks. It's a great episode, great two-part episode. You get two episodes of awesome sauce. It's great stuff, work farks. Find there's out a, what happens. There's uh, a number of problems here, not the least of which is your farkism, but it, it's also magnified by your continued use of the phrase awesome sauce, which awesome I think sauce. people stopped using about six years ago. No, that's not true. There's a commercial for Discover, uh, the Discover card on TV right now, which uses that phrase, so you're wrong again. I think it's using it ironically. Still using it. It is so outdated. <laughs> um, work farks. Let's get back to work farks, though. Because that's uh, do, we <laughs> do we have to? Do we have to? Because that, oh, that's. So we've done 196 episodes of Trek Geeks. Yeah. Um, it's been a great run. Um, <laughs> yeah. Are you ever going to start trying with these farkisms? You know, they just come to me so quickly. I, I, I write down what first comes into my head, and, and usually it's the best thing to do. So, so yeah, I, you know, I, if anybody's going to be brainwashed and, and have to deal with whether or not the band is going to be uh, able to play their awesome music again, um, you got to watch Work Farks because we want Five Year Mission back in our lives. And if not for this episode and not what happens, we might not have ever heard from them again. So, so you're saying by not answering my question that you're not trying at all. Okay. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Say it with me. Work parks. Fiveyearmission.net, everybody. Uh, go get yourself all their CDs. Physical media is awesome. And five-year missions music is even more awesome on CD. So, uh, Dan, don't forget, you can support the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to special content, all bonus via Patreon. You can get access to stuff you're just not going to get anywhere else like raw audio of these here trek geeks episodes you can see our annual supporters pins and there's just a whole bunch of other perks dan 
There are other perks. Uh, there are also great associate producers uh, of the Trek Geeks podcast uh, network of shows, I guess you could say, and we want to thank them right now. They include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, who is that guy, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Shane Murray, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Christina Werther, Jim McMahon, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. Wow. Mm-hmm. I like the extra little roles you put on the R's in there. That was pretty fantastic. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Wow. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for all of their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ben Russett, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, David Hood, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Network. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today. Next week, Dan, we're heading back to TNG for the first time in quite some time to talk about an episode that has kind of a tie to Trek Geeks. Yeah, indeed it does, Mr. Executive Producer. I like it. Yes, next week we are going to deep dive into an episode that features the USS Hathaway, the very ship that is featured on Trek Geeks Game Night, hosted by Dan Garcia and featuring a whole bunch of great friends as part of its crew. But in this TNG episode, they are, for some reason, nowhere to be found. But that's okay, because we're going to talk about Ferengi and Zack Dorns and Stratagema, War Games, and even that Secret Service dude from 24. It's all part of TNG's peak performance next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship podcast of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. (laughs) I busted him up. (laughs) Jeez. Oh, so painful. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to that episode because there's really there's really some cool stuff in there, which I'm looking forward to. So that's peak performance next week on Trek Geeks. Of course, Dan, we want everyone to check out the other member podcast, the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. We have a bunch of shows available for you to download now. Let's see. There's Rewind. Hmm. There's Politrex. Yeah. There's Five-Year Mission. Yeah. There's, of course, Discovering Trek. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this here... The flagship, but of course, Dan, a moment ago you mentioned Trek Geeks Game Night. That's on our YouTube channel, and that is live gameplay of the Star Trek Adventures game. Uh, it's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons meets Star Trek, and it's it's a bunch of fun. We've got a great crew over there aboard the Hathaway, and it's something we hope you'll check out at youtube.com slash trekgeeks. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 196 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut sauce. That's it? That's all I got. Is that because of the whole awesome sauce thing? You hurt my feelings. Uh, Because coconut is not awesome and awesome sauce is not awesome. Uh, Wrong and wrong. And you are not awesome. Uh, Well, that's true. Bye. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com.
Bing bong, Dan. Bing bong, Bill. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thanks for having me, Bill. You sound very bassy today, Dan. Well, I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no treble, Bill. (laughs) That doesn't really fit what we're doing today, Dan. What would you like... Never mind. I'm not even going to touch that one. How you doing? Good, buddy. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. It's a little uh, chilly out this morning. Huh? It is a little chilly, but at least it's sunny for a change. We haven't had that uh, this week. Um, what towns in the United States besides our stupid town would cancel trick-or-treat several days ahead of it because of the possibility of bad weather, and then it turns out to be 70 degrees and nice? Well, actually, it was super windy and and, and It's still nice. No, it wasn't raining. raining. It wasn't raining Thursday night at all. I had Sue rain I, here. Uh, well, I'm five mi- five minutes away, and it didn't rain here. Yeah. No, we had uh, we had on and off showers. Um, one time, Abby and I were out in it, and actually, it started to rain again. So, Don't the black clouds always follow you, anyway. Uh, it, yes, they're usually named Dan Davidson. That was funny. You're funny. It's man. it's only funny because it's true, Dan. <laughs> You've been watching Saturday Night Live Christmas episodes. No, I'm throwing it back to episode 15 of the Trek Geeks podcast and the uh, the original coconut outtake. Deep cut. Wow, that's fantastic. Your face is a deep cut. Oh, there's another one. <laughs> I actually didn't have coconut coffee today, though, so Thank that's God. Right. I had uh, that maple pecan that you got me. I actually enjoy it. I Wait, I didn't get you any maple pecan. Well, you, you, you had some that you... That you didn't, that your household didn't want to use anymore, so you provided them to me. All right, so my wife bought maple pecan, yeah. and said, "This is disgusting." Damn, I like it. Yeah, well, that's nice. <laughs> wow, why does your wife have to be so mean? Well, maybe she didn't say it in those words. I embellish a little. Yeah, you a little. But I said, "I'll give it to Dan. He likes coffee." Wow, really? Unbelievable. Why don't we yeah. deal with you? And now you know, I also have friends, I guess, too. Then, huh? Right, Bill. Yeah, bleep that one out too, MFR. <laughs> I'm, I'm texting the time indexes to you because I, I, I can't write them down. Um, so when you get two time entries, you'll know what they are. Okay. <laughs> That's uh, funny. That's actually quite funny. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation, man. It's going to be fun. Um, it, I, it is going to be fun. Well, you know, I, it's... I'm really glad that I can actually talk about Voyager somewhat intelligently, mm-hmm. you know, because I've seen the episodes now. I can't go, uh, sorry, I haven't seen that one. Right. Because, you know, some people would like look at me like, wait a second, you're, you're, a, you're on a podcast called Trek Geeks. You haven't seen all of Voyager? That happens. Um, it does. I mean, you know, everybody's fandom is different. I'm just, I'm glad that I've seen it all just because now I've seen it all. It, it's amazing, and it's not just Voyager. I mean, look at our friend Haley. Look at Haley. She doesn't even. She didn't watch TOS until last year. TOS, the original Star Trek, she didn't even watch for the first year. So you know, it's okay. It, it takes some people longer to watch different, uh, different series, and and that's all right. But now you're part of the club, and it's 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 a it's a pleasure to welcome you to it. I'm gonna you're gonna get like a badge, maybe maybe a hat with a little propeller on top, um, like in the Quisp. Uh, cereal box that we talked about. We, we can't go back to the Quisp thing twice. I mean... Oh, we can go back to it because I want to eat some. Because uh, uh, going back to that well, just now it seems Spe- now it seems tired. Speaking of cereal, you know what I miss and I didn't get this year and I usually do? Looks Every up. Halloween, I usually get a box of the monster cereals. 
because they only come out at Halloween now. And uh, I didn't this year because I'm I'm trying to watch what I'm eating and I miss them. Frankenberry yeah. baby. I was more of a Count Chocula and a Booberry guy. Mm. Well, the other one, uh, Fruit Brute. <laughs> I don't remember that one. That's because it was terrible. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a werewolf on the cu- on the box. Yeah, Funko is coming out with like a seven inch Count Chocula figure. Really? Yeah. Oh, I might have to uh, keep that one in mind. I'm starting to like, <laughs> I'm starting to like those. I didn't at first, but now I, I kind of dig them. My, yeah. my wife got me a couple of Ron Swanson ones from Parks and Recreation. Yeah. And since then, she is collecting all of the office ones. Oh, my goodness. That's pretty awesome. She, there's a box that we have. It's full of nothing but office Funko Pops. <laughs> that's great. Well, I got the, um, you got, I've got a couple of Star Trek ones that I've gotten. You got me one, and I got another one uh, recently. But the Jaws ones are what really got me into it. Um, the shark uh, eating Quint. Uh, and yeah. it's just fantastic. And I got Sue um, a nice display one this year for Halloween, and it's the Sanderson sisters from Hocus Pocus, which is which is something we both love. So that's sitting out on our table for the Halloween season, which we packed away probably tomorrow. But yeah, those I, I when they first came out, I'm like, you know, I really see nothing about these that I would ever like, and now I love them. I think it's because they've expanded the line so much and come yeah. up with so many deep cut oh, things. So many, yeah, absolutely. They have special office ones that are from a specific episode. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this one character that uh, in one of the office Christmas episodes that Dwight puts on. I think it's in the eighth or ninth season called Belschnickel because they have a, a, a traditional Schrute family Christmas. And uh, it's it's a hilarious episode. And they actually put out a Belschnickel Funko Pop. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. amazing. They have one where Jim is dressed as Dwight. And it happens in the oh tease gosh. of the episode. And and Jim is imitating Dwight just to throw Dwight off. It's uh, they're talking about identity theft, <laughs> and uh, and Jim takes it to the nth degree just to annoy Dwight. And it, they have a Funko Pop of Jim dressed as Dwight. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's I, I appreciate that they've they've appealed to hardcore fans with mm-hmm. some of these offerings, and I, I think it's fantastic. They have thousands of them. Yeah, I keep hoping for Discovery Funko Pops. I'd love to see a Saru one. Oh, that would be great. All right, Funko. Um, dot com if you're listening <laughs> cbs if you're listening oh that's true get that license yeah yeah absolutely that would be make this cool. happen yeah, separate me from more of my money please yeah because we need that yeah i don't know a galt a-, a galt funko <laughs> don't they already have a, a license because there are star trek ones uh well i i well all the discovery stuff happened under a separate license remember Oh, and also, aren't the, oh, no, the, yeah, okay. I was going to say, aren't they all the Funko ones for Star Trek from the, the movies, but they're not, so. Right. I have yeah. a, a Star Trek Beyond Spock, um, mm-hmm. and you have Mirror Mirror Spock. I have Mirror Mirror Spock and Scotty from the original series. Right. Yeah. So cool. I think yeah. Beyond was the last set of Star Trek ones they did, hmm. um, but I, I know there's TOS ones. I think there's TNG ones. I'm not sure. I know that they're aptly named because they're fun. You are an idiot. <laughs> I, <sighs> it's a happy, I, happy day. I, yeah. I hate you so much. Happy days, Funkos. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Marion. <laughs> Actually, you know what? You know who you would be on uh, on Happy Days? Who? You'd be Chuck. The brother? Yep. Wow. Because we'd never... see you once, and then we'd never see you <laughs> I was again. That say, would he's make a basketball me happy. player left, didn't he? Wow, that thanks, thanks a lot. I think he's he'd a... be Pinky Tuscadero. He's in the pilot, and uh, you never see him again. They refer to him a couple of times, but uh, yeah. never again. You'd be the and shark. I would be. 
I would be Pinky Tuscadero because I would rock that look. That, yeah, um, you would. Mm-hmm. You'd be the, you know, the clap on your thigh thing. Or was that totally. leather? That was leather. Was that leather or Pinky? That was leather. Okay. That was leather. All right. Susie Quattro. Yes, know. absolutely. Cool. You'd be the shark that Fonzie jumps over and then the series shuts down because it's stupid. That makes no sense. Exactly. Thank you. Thank if you I for were a playing. shark, I'd eat, I would just bite you like Quint. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of which. I've never seen Jaws, so. Uh, what? what? Wait a second. There yeah. are things that have happened on this podcast that you did not know about me and were surprised. That shocks me. I never had an interest. I never had an interest in doing a podcast yet. Look at us. We're doing episode 196. Well, so. it's, the, it's the best decision I ever made for you. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Jaws, I have to give huge props to Lee Sargent. Because the other day he tweeted out, I don't know if I want to do a Jaws doodle or a Jurassic Park doodle. So I tweeted back to him the word Jaws about 150 times. And he did one. And it was gorgeous. And he goes, the original is still out there for as long as anybody wants, you know, if somebody wants to grab it, I grabbed it. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting a Jaws Lee Sargent doodle and it's beautiful. I have seen a Jaws movie. I just haven't seen the original Jaws. It is it is my favorite movie of all time. The the one Jaws movie I've seen was Jaws 3 oh, in 3D. With Lou Gossett Jr. And Dennis Quaid. Yeah, very bad. Oh, at the time, you know, because 3D movies were, were the thing. There was a fad back then in mm-hmm. the 80s. And I went with my older sister and my brother-in-law. And like, yeah, we're going to go see Jaws 3. It's in 3D. It'll be cool. It's about a shark attack. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, I had fun at the time. But interestingly enough, it didn't make me want to go back and watch the the original or the the sequel that actually is good. Yeah, Jaws 2 isn't bad. I'll tell you what. Jaws 3 was the best picture Oscar performance compared to the tripe of Jaws 4. Was that the one that was called The Revenge? Yeah. <laughs> now, the shark the shark followed Michael Caine and the wife down to the Caribbean because, as the tagline said, this time it's personal. <laughs> so, wait. The Revenge was the shark's revenge? Yeah. That's how I take what? it. It followed them down. And the climax of the movie, Michael Caine's plane crashed into the water and they were like kind of sitting on the surface as they were fighting the shark. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Michael Caine is not in any of the other Jaws movies. No. But in in 4, if I remember correctly, I haven't seen it in so long because it's so horrible, as much as Brandon might uh, disagree with me, um, he, the hus- uh, Chief Brody has passed away. So she is a widow and meets him. Yeah. Oh, so he's he, he's getting on with with Chief Brody's wife. Mm, yeah, because he's not in three around. either. No, he's not. Yeah, he's not in three either. The kids are in three. Right. One of the kids right. is 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 like the runner of the Sea World uh, mock off, and uh, in Jaws four, I think there's one, if not both, of the kids also. So and the and the mother. It's it's just horrendously bad. So allegedly, they killed the shark every time. Hmm. Um. How can this shark know revenge if the other three sharks are dead? I, if, from what, if I understand correctly, the shark in Jaws 4 sh- found the journal from the shark in Jaws 1 <laughs> and always wanted to become like the next Darth Vader type shark. Um, so, yeah. You're an idiot. 
Are you ready to do this? I am ready. Wow, this is a fun update today. <laughs> I, 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 I can't deal with you. Just read, read the copy. What comes next? 